You know, when I was a little boy, my mom uh, used to laugh at me because she would watch me uh, right before baseball games. I would just be so anxious running back and forth and uh, walking circles and using the bathroom a lot and and, uh, nothing's changed. I was behind there running back and forth and and, uh, anxious and uh, and I feel like the Lord just said to me, uh, sit down, slow down, be with the people of God. Enjoy your time worshiping. Maybe some of you this morning need to hear that. Sit down. Rest in the Lord this morning. And while you may have a lot going on, breathe for a second. And let's, let's see if the Lord will say something to us personally and to us corporately. If you have the ability to stand, would you just stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. It reads like this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. By his grace and mercy may it be preached for you this morning. You may be seated. I know we got a little bit of a gaping hole here. Just uh, some of our students have have, uh, been dismissed and have finished up their finals. And uh, many of them, uh, or a few of them, are going in a few, just a short few days. uh, They're going to be heading out to Thailand. uh, And uh, we are so excited. So just uh, be mindful of them. They're leaving in a few days. They'll be in about 36-hour transient uh, time. And uh, and so they're going to be traveling. Um, So be, be in prayer for them. In 2013, uh, I had the privilege with my wife uh, and my two daughters at the time, Selah and Naomi. Selah was two. Naomi was going to turn one in June at that time. It was May when we left uh, with our team. Uh, we went over to Thailand, uh, and it was an amazing trip. It was a trip that kind of took me outside of my bubble that I'd always seen. It kind of, uh, it, it kind of jolted me a little bit to looking at a new culture. And one of the things that we did while we were there that I thought was so amazing is we went to visit a temple while we were there, a Buddhist temple, uh, to help us understand the culture, to allow us to be able to ask questions of what is it uh, that they believe and how can we interact with them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This temple was amazing. It was so big. Uh, It had uh, gold trimmings, if you walked up to the very top of the temple, I mean, it was several layers up, you could see the whole city. It's, today, uh, I want to talk with you not about a temple that is built with your hands, but one that is built by God. Uh, if you've got my outline in front of you, know that I'm going to follow that outline very loosely. Uh, I will try, my friends, uh, to catch you up to my new outline uh, that is in my head, uh, but I will, I will try to keep you, keep you with me as we... Uh, move along here. Uh, and, and also, I would just say this. 
just the title of our talk, You Are the Church, maybe in parentheses, you are built for a dwelling place. Built for a dwelling place. So as we've been talking about uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, and we've been walking through here systematically verse by verse, uh, we, we can remember Eric uh, covering for us this great salvation that we have. If you look actually Ephesians 1 verse 10 with me, look at this with me for just a second. As a plan for the fullness of time, here it goes, to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Christ is uniting the cosmos. He is bringing them all under his reign. When we get to chapter 2, we will see how Christ is uniting a fallen, dead, and their trespassed sinner. Someone who is spiritually dead. Dead in your transgressions. Verse 5, but he made you alive in Christ. So the impediment there is you were dead now. Personally dead. Spiritually dead made alive in Jesus Christ. And you as a people, there were two different entities. There was Jew, by way of reminder, by the way. There was Gentile. Christ is bringing you peace with God, and now he will bring you together. There will be peace. No more hostility between you entities. We will bring one new race. Nation people. One new people would be the best way to say that. And here's here's the thing, is as we are experiencing peace with God, we are experiencing horizontal peace with men and women, right? And so Eric, so let us off last week, the Prince of Peace at work. And so we've seen this great salvation that God has come. He's uniting all things, that God has awakened sinners personally, and now God is corporately bringing them together as a people. So our verse starts in verse 19. So then, or another way to put that, so what? What does it matter that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has been at work? What does it matter that he has saved you? He has made you personally his masterpiece. What does it matter that he has brought you together, that he has tore down the wall of hostility? What does it matter that he has fulfilled the commandments? What does that matter? Paul's about to tell us in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are the citizens, the fellow citizens with the saints. Stop right there, fellow citizens. And I know this by way of reminder a few weeks ago. What does it mean to be a stranger? A stranger is a foreigner who, in a sense, is just passing through. They're not mindful. They have no um, idea of what's going on. They, 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 they don't know the culture. Uh, they're, they're not onto any of that. When we were traveling in 2013 to Thailand, Anna Joy and I and our little girls, we had a long trip with our students uh, and uh, we were on a plane for about nine hours, and we landed into Japan. And so nine hours on a plane with two little girls, you can imagine we wanted off, only to be told in like one hour, 60 minutes, you're going to be back on. Now, so, so that really worked against us, usually when you want to get right back on your plane. Uh, and uh, w- we wanted off of it for a while. But while we were in Japan, all we saw was the airport. We were strangers, foreigners. 
We did not know the customs. We did not know the culture. We didn't know what we were missing out on. So Paul says to the Gentiles, you were this. You were nothing more than a foreigner. You were darkened in your mind. You did not have the promises of God. You were without God and without hope, and you didn't even know it. You were a stranger when someone came to you to preach the gospel of good news. Peace with God. You were not just a stranger. You were a foreigner. Some of you were this idea of sojourner. You were sojourning along. And God was going to disrupt your path. A, a, an alien or a, a, a sojourner, if you will, is someone who's living in the culture, uh, it, but they don't have any of the rights and privileges of the culture. They don't have the ability to, uh, to, know, to, to, to partake in the culture and benefit from the culture. When we were in Thailand, I interacted with a guy, and this, this brother was, he was uh, probably six foot one. He was about four or five inches taller than everybody else while we were there. Uh, and he nicknamed himself, he nicknamed himself Tupac. And uh, after the rapper here in the West, uh, the Christ, or the, not the Christian rapper, Tupac is definitely not a Christian rapper. Uh, on record, not a Christian rapper. <laughs> um, but Tupac is what he named himself. And, and he began to engage us on our culture, on our citizenship. He began to ask the question uh, to us, uh, what's it like in America? What are the opportunities you have there? Are you planning on having a business? How are you going to make your first million? He was, he was filled his mind with this propaganda of what it means to be a citizen of the United States. But here's what it did. It began to uh, start something in me going, what are the benefits of my citizenship? It's really easy, brothers and sisters, when we're looking at the Word of God, to read citizens with the fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and to look right over it really fast. But if you stop to ask the question, what are your privileges? What are your rights? What has God given you in the Lord Jesus Christ? So then Paul is, is slowing us down to think about our citizenship in Jesus Christ. Just like I was slowed down when I was in Thailand and I came back into America and I remember when they said over the plane, you have now entered the United States of America. And for the, for the first time that I can really remember in my life, I thought about what it meant, deeply what it meant to be a citizen of the United States, the rights that I've been given to vote and to influence my nation, uh, the opportunities to, to build business, uh, the opportunities uh, to get federal aid in college and so on and so forth. So it is with you, brothers and sisters. You were strangers. You were aliens. But you have now been made a citizen of heaven. We could stop the sermon there and reflect on that this morning. And it would be very good. Every blessing in the heavenly place is yours in Christ Jesus. Your citizenship, your involvement in the kingdom. God says, I've not just saved you. I'm going to involve you as my very citizen, citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But not just a citizen. He'll go more intimate, a member of the household of faith. You are a member of God's very household. You are counted as one with the Father. It's his house. And he says, I love you, and I've brought you in. It's a sign of intimacy. Intimacy when you enter a house, and it's a sign of inheritance. 
You have an intimate relationship now with your heavenly Father, and you have inherited every blessing, but namely one in particular. The Holy Spirit is your inheritance dwelling in you. So then why does this passage matter? Because we will see that God has made us as his citizens of one kingdom where he rules and one household where he provides and protects. He has made us his very dwelling place. This is really good news. Think about this. You are a citizen and a member. You can say one day, I will engage Abraham, who is a citizen, Church of Ephesus. You can say this, Church of Cape Bible Chapel. You can say this. One day, I will be able to talk with David. I will interact with Moses about what it was like being on that mountain for so long. I'll interact with sweet Ruth. I'll interact with Esther and ask her her story of God's grace in her life. I'll interact with Daniel and with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Have you thought about this? You'll interact with even Paul, the writer of this epistle himself. What good news me and you have this morning. But why would Paul write this and then begin to switch our attention to a foundation, a cornerstone, and have, have a conversation about us being the temple? Why would he do this? And I want to submit to you a few quick reasons here. Go to Ezekiel 37, 27 and 28. Ezekiel 37, 27 and 28. This is what the word says here. This is a prophecy from Ezekiel 37, 27 and 28. 27. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Did you hear it? When my sanctuary, when my temple is in their midst forever. Now, language uh, here matters. I just want to say this to you real quick. Uh, As the temple, we know the temple uh, or the tabernacle, the place uh, that's in the camp. It's put in the center of the camp in the Old Testament. This is Exodus chapter 25, 26. Uh, So the tabernacle is put in the camp, the center of the camp. In the center of the tabernacle is the inner courts. Within the inner courts, you have the Ark of the Covenant. You have the mercy seat. And this is where God's Shekinah glory comes down. Out of all the places, all the earth, this is where God who his glory is beheld everywhere, decides, I'm going to take my Shekinah glory and I'm going to put it here in this temple. You'll see it again in 1 Kings chapter 6. Now, it's not the tabernacle. Now we're building out Solomon's temple. And in that temple... Solomon makes it absolutely glorious where kings and queens would come from all over, just like we looked to a degree at the Buddhist temple and we said, wow, this is an amazing structure. But there was kings and queens who came from all over to view this temple and they beheld the temple and they said, that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Why did you build the temple? Funny you asked. Yahweh resides here. Who is Yahweh? He is the one true God. And his Shekinah glory comes down in the midst of the temple. 
We'll see it again with other temples uh, over, over time. In fact, Jesus will address this transition from Old Testament to New Testament temple. He'll do it in uh, John chapter 2. He'll begin to move everybody's thoughts that way. Uh, He's arguing with the Pharisees there, and the Pharisees are debating him. And he says this, tear down this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. They said, it's taken decades to build this temple. That is preposterous. How could you ever even consider inconceivable? Do it, and I'll raise it in three days. In John chapter 4, go there with me real quick. I'm making a point, and I'll bring it to a head in just a second. John chapter 4, 21. Actually, start in verse 20. Jesus is talking with the woman at Samaria. You remember the story? And she's going back and forth with Jesus. She begins to argue with Jesus about where we're going to worship. What place are we worshiping at? Verse 20, pick me up there. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, you will worship, or you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking people, circle it, to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What, has, what have we been talking about in the book of Ephesians? You were dead in your trespasses. You were made alive in Christ. How were you made alive? You were born again. You were regenerate. The Holy Spirit entered into your life in your heart as your inheritance and awakened you to the word of God, which is the truth, the one truth that we stand on. So we worship in spirit and in truth. Ultimately, what Jesus is doing here and what I'm trying to help you see here is we're moving from a place to a people where Shekinah glory dwells. So why does all of this Prince of Peace at Work talk even matter? Why does it matter that you've been made into his masterpiece? Why does it matter that you were dead in your transgressions and raised up in Christ Jesus? Why does that matter? So that it would produce in you a great love for God, a great worship of God. It, it would prepare you to be a place where God himself dwells. How condescending is your God? He would humble himself to me and to you in that way. And yet, his great love for me and for you, his citizens of his kingdom and members of his household, beckons us, calls us, draws us to be his dwelling place. So if you could think about the holy temple of God now, it is the people of God. Let me give you three things under the holy temple. This is me changing your outline. First thing would be this, the foundation of that temple. The second would be the formation of that temple. And the third would be the functionality of that temple. Foundation, formation, functionality. Look at the verse with me here. Uh, we, We move from being members of his household who are built 
were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Let me just say this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that there can be only one foundation that is laid, and that foundation is Christ Jesus. But because we get Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, it is worded in a very particular way. Apostles and prophets. This has been debated. I'm not going to solve the debate right now, but here's what I will say about this. Why I think Paul puts this in here as I'm looking at this text is for a few key reasons. The foundation that they are laying is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they themselves in their office is foundational. Let me show you why I say that. John, actually let's go Matthew 21, verses 40 through 46. Matthew 21, 40 through 46. I'm in the right chapter here. Okay. Let's do 41. Take me up in 42, actually. Here we go. So Jesus is uh, he's, uh, giving the parable of the tenants. He's talking about a vineyard that he's built out. Uh, and and it's, it's a, an expression of these different prophets have come. And that the people that are overseeing the vineyard keep throwing out the prophets. And then it says the sun comes and the tenants Uh, the parable of the tenants, and it says they kill the son and they throw him out. And Jesus ends his time. He's talking about a vineyard. He changes the illustration and he quotes from the Old Testament here. He quotes from uh, Psalms 118, 22 through 23, verse 42 here. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, given to a people producing its fruits. And the one one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees who oversee God's spiritual vineyard heard this parable, they perceived that it was speaking about them. You've been overseeing my kingdom. You've been overseeing the temple. You've been dictating the worship. And I've addressed you over and over and over again. And you were unrepentant. I am taking this office away from you. And I'm giving it to those that will bear fruit. Go Acts 4.11 real quick. Acts chapter 4. Love that sound here in your Bibles. The people of the word. Acts 4. They're arguing back and forth. Then Peter, actually pick me up in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you And to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, rejected, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone. This is the verse I want you to see, 11. The stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have come, become the cornerstone. Jesus has become the cornerstone. Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. 
Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What were they astonished by? Boldness, authority, clarity of the scriptures. This was men that were building a foundation because the cornerstone gave them confidence. Where does your confidence, brothers and sisters, come from? I hope it comes from Christ, the cornerstone. For it is with the apostles and the prophets who have been moved into a position of authority, bringing the holy word of God. That was their confidence. Go back to our text now. That is the foundation, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, that he is building the kingdom of heaven and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm mindful, and some of you are mindful, of the thousands of Christians that have been martyred in the last year and a half. It is stunning, brothers and sisters. Thousands of them. Uh, One of the remarks was made by a gentleman named Jahadi John. Some of you have probably seen this in the news. This was uh, Jahadi John died, I think it was in a bombing attack in early January of this year. But Jahadi John was uh, known for pointing a knife at a screen and beheading people right there in front of the screen. It is absolutely gruesome. And here's one of the things that he said to Hadi John. He said, we will eradicate you, talking to the Christian church. We will spill your blood until it fills the earth like the waters. You will pass away and Christianity will be no more. Wrong! The cornerstone is in play. And Christ said, I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so every head that was, came off for the name of Jesus Christ will be put back on. And they will be with you and me in glory, standing as fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as members in the household of God. They are communing with God right now. Praise be to God that his kingdom will not fail. The cornerstone has been laid. What is a cornerstone? It is the massive rock that an architect takes and he drops. And this rock is a rock of strength. It is a rock of stability. It is a rock that shapes everything else in the building. It is a rock that must be shaped so perfectly, so clearly by the architect with so much precision because everything else will be built on it. So the apostles and the prophets will be built on it. The word of God will be built on Christ. Uh, the, The church itself will be built on the gospel and cornerstone of Jesus Christ. He is your cornerstone. He always has been. And when it was laid, your foundation and your stability and your anchoring in your faith was secured in that very moment, no matter what the intimidation of the enemy wants to say to you, do not bow. This church will be built. Changing gears. I asked you the question, Do you hold Jesus in high regards this morning? Most of you would say absolutely, especially by what you just said there. 
If I asked the community, do you hold Jesus in high regards? Most would say yes. If I asked America, they would say yes. If I changed the question and said, do you hold the church in high regards? Many would say no. In fact, the study says that 98% of people would say they hold Jesus in high regard, and only about 50% say that they would hold the church. Many have been hurt by the church. We've had shortcomings in the church. We have failed in the church. But the Bible says that God is building his church off the cornerstone. And so you can have great confidence that the church will be built up. And as the church is being built up, it's being, our word, formed or formation. How is the formation happening off of the cornerstone? Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Actually, go start verse 4 with me. He says this, As you come to him, a living stone, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, he's quoting Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So he is referencing Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. This cornerstone has been laid, and this cornerstone is alive. How does a brick live or be living? The church is a living organism. And what the Bible is saying here, for me and for you, and I want you to hear this today, why does this matter? Why does it matter that Jesus did all of those magnificent things in our lives and and now is joining us together uh, corporately because he is building a holy temple. That temple must be holy, set apart, made in the image of Christ. And while many of us may say the church has a black eye right now, Just wait. She will be blameless. She will be beautiful. She will be in all of her splendor when God is done with her. Take it to the bank. And so what he says is, I want to take one of these stones here. You are a living stone as you believe in the stone that was rejected, who was raised on the third day. You are a living stone is the illustration. And he's saying, I am moving off the dross. I am making you a living sacrifice for me. I am making you holy by the transformation of the, by, by your mind. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will no longer conform to the pattern of this world. You will become more and more like me. And as I'm chiseling away all of the world from your life, I am perfectly fitting you into my holy temple that is being built up in the Lord to bring glory to your heavenly Father. And when the world looks at the church and the church is responding to God's holy word and they're responding in holiness and they're loving and joining hands with one another, that's when the world looks and says, oh my goodness, who is your God? Who is it that is bringing about such joy, such camaraderie? Who's allowing you to not just comfort one another, but to correct one another. 
who's allowing sparks to fly as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, who's allowing people to give courage but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The church working together is making this beautiful, holy temple to the Lord. Beautiful. Look at this with me. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 15. Paul will revisit this. And Eric will cover this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if you asked me to dinner, and you said, can you come over for dinner, but don't bring your wife? You think I'm going to be going to dinner with you? Not a shot. So we cannot love the head of the church and not love his bride. You were made to be in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ together. And it is together that the Shekinah glory of God is pleased out of all the peoples, all the world, of all time, as the church gathers together, that's when God says, I will lavish and pour on my glory so that a dying and lost world will see and will say, I want to be a part of that. And as the temple is being built up and the the sheep that have not been yet brought to the fold are being brought in, God is shaping his holy church to the worship of the one who is due all of our praise. He is shaping the church. He is shaping me. He is shaping you. And why would he form us this way into a holy temple? So that he could come and dwell in our midst. God wants to dwell with you. And this is the already and not yet fully. If you go over to Revelation chapter 21, I want you to see this. Revelation 21. It reads, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city where you are a citizen, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, behold, brothers and sisters, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. I can only imagine these next words. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Behold, he is making all things new, and you will be the temple of Almighty God as you've been joined together. You've been shaped as a stone for God, that you are part of one household, and you are a citizen of his great and holy kingdom. Praise the Lord that we have such a foundation and such a cornerstone as Jesus Christ.